I am Gerardo Del Real, along with my friend, colleague, and co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. I am a mining investor and the editor of Resource Stock Digest. Mr. Hodge is also an investor of many things and the publisher of Daily Profit Cycle. This is the 243rd episode of our weekly therapy session that we like to call Investing in Bizarro World. Now, typically we would talk about all of the bizarro stuff that goes on in the planet. There's a lot going on right now. We're gonna spare you that conversation today. And we're gonna talk about the markets. We're gonna talk about what has worked, what hasn't worked, and what we think will work. Because ultimately, you're likely here to hear about how you can game the market a bit to your advantage. And hopefully, we can provide some insight there. So before we get going, Mr. Hodge, first and foremost, Great to have you here. Thank you for the slideshow. We put this together on the fly as we usually do. How are you today? I'm doing well, Gerardo. Came in a couple of days early to go fishing in New Orleans and ended up getting blown out. The trip got canceled. So that's the second time that's happened. Tried to go red fishing in 2015 with my dad. Flew him back down again this year um, and we got canceled. So we enjoyed the World War II Museum and uh, Bourbon Street last night. And uh, here I am today with you. So it's good to be here. Well, let's get right into it. The genesis of this podcast really happened over what's happening a lot right now in New Orleans, which is uh, beer drinking. I was visiting Mr. Hodge in Spokane, Washington, and we were having a beer, and it was 2016. And I said, what do you think about starting a podcast? And he said, well, what would we talk about? And I said, well, we love the markets. We love investing. We love teaching. Um, maybe we talk about that, and we can work it into all the craziness that's going on in the world. And he said, well, what would we call it? And I said, I don't know. How about Bizarro World? It took five minutes, like most things do, right? And so that was it. 243 weeks later, here we are with you fine folks. So thank you for your time. We know that we're competing with the bar and Rick Roll downstairs, <laughs> pontificating, and all of the folks um, that have a lot of wittier things to say than we do. So thank you for your time. Let's get into what hasn't worked over the past year. Mr. Hodge, I'll let you introduce the slide and then I'll rant about each one. Sure. So we just had a discussion, a, a casual discussion, as he just said, what hasn't worked recently and what is working and, and what's going to work. And, and base metals have been tough. You know, we talk a lot about copper on the podcast and I've, I've been saying that, you know, copper is likely going to get comfortable closer to 350 than 450. And this was when it was actually, you know, closer to $4. Yeah because of you know, economic stagnation, low economic growth, uh, et cetera. And so base metals have been, t been tough despite the, the long-term sort of you know, a fundamental bull case for you know, the copper and zinc, uh, nickel, et cetera. And so uh, the slide here is, uh, is a base metals index uh, for the past year. And I am no chartist, but you could take a look at that chart and see that it has been a tough go. Now, let me preface let me provide some context and preface what I just said with some, some, some color. I believe in the mid to long term, copper is one of the best speculations that you can make. I believe there's going to be a huge deficit in the next couple of years. I believe if you start positioning now and you have patient capital to allocate in the better explorers, I tend to be high risk, high reward, or producers. Mr. Hodge likes to be a tad bit more conservative, though at times he also has a knack for the high-risk, high-reward plays. I think if you position now slowly but surely, you can do very well. But copper isn't going to be the thing that works right, right now. It's going to take a bit of patience. When it works, it's going to work phenomenally, much like lithium did when it took off, 
over the past couple of years before the recent consolidation. There was a head fake, there was a pullback, there was a surge, it quadrupled in price, and now we've seen a little bit of a pullback and we'll talk about that as well in just a little bit. So we'll talk more about copper in a bit here. Gold. Yeah, so we want to talk about gold stocks. We say a lot that you know gold stocks are not gold, and, and gold has done relatively well there, as you see over the past year, up nearly 20%, 19 and a half. It, what hasn't worked so well is the, the, the leverage that gold stocks are supposed to show, both on the, you know, the producer and royalty spectrum all the way down to the, to the junior uh, explorers. So it, you, want the, you want that, that's the GDX there, right? That's the, the Vanek Gold Miners ETF against the, the SPDR Gold Trust GLD. And really, you should be seeing leverage from gold stocks, which we haven't seen yet. Um, and I think the, the reason is, is pretty transparent, right? You have lots of geopolitical turmoil. Um, you have p people seeking the safe haven of um, gold, and you've had lots of, of money printing. So, you know, some people scratch their heads and, and, and wonder how the dollar, or excuse me, gold can be going up sometimes commensurate with the uh, dollar and yields. And, and Gerardo will talk more about that. But gold has been, it's been bullish. It, it remains in a bullish trend. And at the same time, we haven't seen the, the leverage from the equities reflected that obviously we, we, we would like to see. And so in a bit, we'll talk more about why we believe that gold stocks actually are on the verge of a breakout. I also believe, we believe that the gold price will continue to surge higher. A bit of context again, gold is just shy of all-time highs at a time where the dollar index is at 107. And typically, anytime the dollar index breaches that 100 level, gold retreats. It just hasn't been the case thus far for a number of factors. And so I think the setup is great for gold, but the gold stocks haven't worked, and it's important to differentiate that gold is not the same as gold stocks, and it's why you want exposure to both. Yeah, and I guess I would just add, you know, the, the stocks are, are victim to, to some of the things you see in the economy, right? These producers have had higher costs, and so uh, the bottom line has been affected. Um, yields have been greater in, in other financial instruments, so you don't necessarily need to own a gold stock that's yielding a percent to, to 3%, for example. And I, I do believe that's going to change in the, in the next 12 to 18 months. We touched on lithium a bit. This is a chart of lithium, obviously, for the last five years. Now, lithium is one of those elements, I'll call it a commodity, that really, it matters when you got in. If you got in in January of 2020, July of 2021, January of 2022, you've had a great time with lithium. You've seen spectacular gains, whether it's lithium, the lithium stocks, the producers, the explorers. It has been a phenomenal time. I've had the best trading year of my life the past 12 months on one lithium stock, and we'll talk about it. it at one point, it was up 10,000% over a 16-month period pulled back a bit. I'm only up 5,000% on it. You can make that up on volume and you can afford to be patient with that. It was actually a top pick here last year, that company being Patriot Battery Metals. But now the price, the spot price has gone from just over 80,000 to just above 20,000 and it's consolidating. So we'll talk about why I actually believe lithium will work, but the consolidations in the resource space can be tough. They can be violent. And you have to understand what your premise is when you're allocating capital, whether it's the stocks or the physical commodity. Because if you don't understand a chart like this, 
will shake you out of a position that's probably still a really good idea. It's just a consolidation was healthy at this point, right? This is, I, th I believe this is the last slide on what hasn't worked. So uh, this is a, a slide I had in my presentation earlier, if anybody happened to catch that downstairs. That's the TSX Venture uh, Composite Index, right? So uh, that's a one-year chart, which hmm. is ugly uh, by itself. But if I were to pull that back, you would see that it's uh, the lowest it's been in the past 20 years, except for you know the peak of the COVID fear. So uh, this Venture Index is lower than it was in 2008. Uh, this is lower than it was in the pain of uh, 2015 and, and 16, if you remember that, um, before they started to cut rates uh, in that cycle. Um, and so there's a lot of pain out there in the, in, the, in the venture index. And we were talking about how gold stocks haven't reflected their leverage that they're, they're known for. And, and you're seeing some of this here in the, in the broader index as well. We touched on base metals. Um, certainly cannabis stocks are included in this, and they've had a very rough go of it um, if you're paying attention to that space. And so uh, they're front-running, I think, uh, a pullback in the commodity cycle that's going to materialize over the next two to three quarters, uh, a pullback in the commodity prices, excuse me, um, that's going to be commensurate with, you know, return to slow growth in, in the economy. Um, and so from, from where I sit, I view this as an opportunity, right? Um, we talk about buy, buying low and selling high, right? Well, you have to do the first thing to, to, to do the second thing. Um, and if we're looking at support levels and we're looking at, uh, you know, retracements and, and where the TSXV has been in previous years, then certainly this looks like a, a time to start uh, wading into the water to, to be accumulating quality companies that are, that are on that exchange. Let's talk about what is working, right? Um, I think this is important. This chart, Nick, is of? Oh, that's gold. gold. Spot gold. <laughs> Spot gold is working. The stocks are not. Gold has behaved beautifully. If you're patient, if you have capital, if you understand charts, and Nick is a much better chartist than I am. I'm, I'm good with trends. I'm good, relatively okay with stocks. I can dig into a story. Nick is really good at digging into the technicals, and then you know we do a decent job of trying to put that together for you all. But gold, again, has behaved beautifully in light of a dollar index that is surging for a variety of reasons. We have multiple wars on multiple fronts. Um, this simultaneous with $33 trillion deficits um, at a time where interest rates are, you know, peaking at multi-decade highs where servicing that debt is no longer sustainable. You have a crosswalk of events that's coinciding and about to collide that we just haven't seen in quite some time. And eventually something breaks and the market knows that when something breaks, whether it's a bond market, a stock market, um, whatever it may be, uh, a junk bond market, you want to have some physical gold. It's not a coincidence that central banks around the world, not just the U.S., not just China, not just Russia, around the world have been accumulating gold, physical gold, at a record pace over the past 12 to 18 months. They understand their own balance sheets as governments better than I do. I guarantee you that. And their response to that has been, to start accumulating really aggressively physical gold. And I think that trend will continue. We're sitting at a conference which is, you know, 36 years running now. This is a, a, a pillar of the gold community. And most gold bugs are tapped out. They're frustrated. They don't understand why the equities haven't outperformed. They don't understand why gold hasn't broken out into new all-time highs. And they don't understand why that hasn't happened at the pace that they thought it would happen. 
I'm here to tell you that that is coming. Be patient. Gold is actually working. It's just taking its time and it's setting up for a pretty violent breakout to the upside, I believe. Not, not too much to add on gold except to, to, to say that, yes, the central banks had record gold buying last year and, and could again this year. You know, we're already in Q4. I don't have the number on the top of my head, but they, they continue to buy gold. And if you look anecdotally at, at stories like Costco selling gold bars, mm -hmm. for example, that was uh, going around a couple of weeks ago, and, and they were selling out within hours. And, and that story was going around the media pretty hard. It was the first time they started selling gold bars on, on Costco.com. And so you have that anecdotal evidence. And also, at, at some point next year, although I haven't, you know, believe there is going to be a pivot for the past 18 months like, like many did. I think in the second half of 2024, you are going to, to get that pivot from the Fed. And when interest rates do start coming down, if you've got $2,000 gold in the face of 5% or 5% interest rates, I mean, you can imagine what's going to happen when the interest rates you know, start coming down to the gold price. Uranium? You know yeah, uranium. <laughs> Bottom line, uranium is working. Uranium has worked. Uranium is going to continue to work. Uranium was in one of the most brutal bear markets for over a decade that, much like the gold bugs, frustrated the living heck out of the uranium bulls who didn't understand why the fundamentals were so clear, why nuclear baseload energy was the most clear, direct, sustainable way to pivot into this electrification of our future that is being government mandated. However you feel about it, that is what's happening. Governments around the world are mandating for a clean energy future. And nuclear is a solution that makes the most sense. And yet for years on end, nuclear plants were being shut down. There was no restart of those plants. There definitely was an investment into the infrastructure. That is drastic, <clears throat> excuse me, drastically changing. Regardless about how you feel about politics, and we won't get into that here, the inflation, the hilariously named Inflation Reduction Act has one thing in it that I really, really like, and that is the development of clean energy infrastructure as it relates to securing a domestic critical metal supply that includes uranium. For the first time in recent memory since the 50s, if I'm not mistaken, there's a government mandate to actually allocate capital, which they're counterfeiting anyway. They're just printing this stuff. They're making this stuff up. So if they're making it up and they're printing it anyway, it makes sense to me that some of those tax dollars that I pay go towards having a uranium reserve, go towards giving incentives to the companies in our country that are going to build the processing facilities that are going to produce uranium for us in the future so we don't have to depend on the Russias of the world and other countries that maybe aren't our best friends as we're learning. It seems crazy, but it makes sense to me a little bit, right? So uranium has worked. It's working right now. It's going to continue to work. This chart is as beautiful a chart as you'll see. Zero overhead resistance there. Yeah, and that's what I'll talk about is the chart. I think a lot of us know the uranium fundamentals, and, and we have lots of reports and articles about that on Daily Profit Cycle if you want to read. The fundamental picture is pretty clear, right? Uh, a looming shortage over the next 10 to 15 years as these build-outs in, in China and India get done. Um, and as we extend the, 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 the life of the reactors here in the U.S., which we've already done for, for several reactors, um, but like Gerardo said, look at the technicals on this chart. It's even more clear if you look at a candle chart, but um, to make it more pretty, I just did a line. You see that you know, <laughs> there was uh, some, some resistance, essentially, that top green line was, was 73 and change. 
Um, and that's a clear breakout. So, I mean, you had a decade of pain after Fukushima. The uranium got as low as 16 or, or $17. And, and here you are with a technical breakout, which is, it gives me a lot of confidence, right? Because we've been pounding the table on the fundamentals for years, and now you finally have the, the technicals cooperating as well. So, um, a couple of things. One, um, like Gerardo said, there's uh, plenty of, of <laughs> blue sky, as they say on that chart. There, there's no overhead resistance now, um, as long as it can consolidate and, and, and hold the $74 level. And uh, two is, um, well, I'll do three things. Two is the, the price still isn't to, to where it needs to be to cover the all-in cost of capital for these uranium companies to mm. get the um, uh, uranium uh, out of the ground. And uh, did the third thing escape me? Let me see if I can think of it. The utilities. Uh -oh. That, that was exactly it. Good. Yeah. We know each other well. So you've got the utilities <laughs> that, are, that, that still haven't come back into the market, right? And these guys have to contract. And uh, what's the common trope when you talk about the uranium is that it's a, it's a fraction of a cost of, of building, uh, maintaining, and operating a, a nuclear reactor, right? So uh, the, the utility buyers don't care what the price is that they're going to pay. And, and they waited to come back to the table until it was already at $74. And so it's going to be interesting what they end up having to contract that to uh, secure the uranium they need for uh, the, the largest fleet in the world in the U.S., 100 reactors or something that, like that, right? Yeah. And, and two more points to that. The utilities are the largest single customer for, for, for uranium, correct? Most of those contracts expire or start expiring in early 2024 and then increase in velocity from that point on. They're not back at the table yet. They haven't begun the negotiations in a public way to say, we want to start securing supply at $74. So if you have a business, I don't care what business it is, and your largest customer, if your business is doing well, you're at 15-year highs, and your largest customer has yet to renew its contract, and you know they have to, and they don't really care what they pay because it doesn't really matter to their bottom line, whether they pay 100 or 75 or 80 or 150. That's a pretty bullish setup, given the fact that we're already at 15-year highs without the largest customer at your table. It's a beautiful setup. The US dollar, uh, everybody's most hated currency, yet the bastion of stability around the world for I don't know how long, right? Since World War II, it is what it is. Everybody calls for the death of the dollar because it sells, right? Um, whether you're a newsletter publisher, and look, we, we're, we're publishers, we have a, a publishing company, we know that certain headlines catch certain eyes and lead to certain clicks and lead to certain sales, but the bottom line is, in times of crisis, capital will flee to the reserve currency, and we are folks, if you haven't noticed, in a time of crisis, and capital will continue, at least for the near to midterm, to flee to the US dollar. It doesn't mean the US dollar is a responsible currency. It doesn't mean eventually it doesn't go the way of all paper currencies, back to its intrinsic value of zero, because it's just a piece of paper that is held up by your confidence and your trust. Eventually, that will erode. But right now, with everything that's going on, the US dollar has worked, is working, and in the near term, I think will continue to work for at least another couple of quarters until Mr. Powell decides that it's not sustainable anymore because of our debt load here in the U.S. Speaking of Mr. Powell, it's not hard to see where the, the dollar really started gaining strength in there. He went on the um, you know, fastest rate hiking cycle in, in 40 or so years, starting in um, you know, March of, 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 
back here, right? So tell them um, how that happened, Nick. What do you mean? <laughs> Why do you go on the fastest rate hike in oh, history? What well, do you do? Well, because they because <laughs> he caused it. They didn't. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they didn't realize that the, the inflation was, wasn't transitory, right? They tried to sell it to you as transitory after they mailed checks to everybody under two presidential administrations, and then they wondered why uh, the inflation went to nine percent, and so. And then they had to get really restrictive really fast, and that's where we are. But that hawkish talk is, is, is really good for the dollar. And you mentioned World War II, and I said I was just at the, the World War II Museum, right? Yeah. And um, I think one of the quotes, I don't know if it was from Hirohito or, or Hitler, was basically saying, you know, this is an all-out war to the end. There's going to be the victor and there's going to be the dead, and whoever's the victor is going to get to set the rules. And we got to set the rules, right, under the Bretton Woods um, Commission. And so... At some point, there might be another all-out war, but one of the best lines I've ever heard came at this conference, and it was from Dennis Gartman, um, is that the two words, um, uh, they keep the U.S. dollar the reserve currency of the world, right? And it's aircraft carriers. And so uh, until that changes, it's, it is what it is, a strong dollar. Nothing to add to that one. Um, what do we got here? That's PMET. Oh, there you go. We talked about, but this is Patriot Battery Metals. Um, Look, this has been thus far my biggest individual win, not just on a percentage basis, right, but on, on, on a material basis for myself. This was a small lithium company that a year and a half ago was figuring out how it was going to keep its lights on. And let me be frank, it wasn't a lithium company at the time. It had some phenomenal lithium properties that I really liked in James Bay. But it was drilling a gold property in Idaho. I actually happened to really like that gold property as well. And it hit some things, but again, nobody cared about gold at the time. And so they reached out to us and, and another group and they said, look, we have to fund. We were trying to keep the lights on. It was called a different name. It was Gaia Metals at the time. And to make a long story short, they, they asked for us to participate in a financing. We helped them out with it, as did another group. One of our requests was that we really wanted to see this Corvette property in James Bay drilled because it seemed really prospective. They had historic sampling that was high grade and it was a large scale at the time, it was a 40-kilometer trend. And so we knew if you find something of, of significance, it's likely going to have scale, and you'll likely find something that's pretty, pretty massive. And, you know, uh, dumb luck, right? Some of it's just luck. First drill hole, absolutely blockbuster drill hole. 100-plus meters, a phenomenal grade. And now you're looking at a 40-kilometer trend, and everybody knows it's off to the races. It goes from 16 cents to 40 cents to a dollar, to $3, to $5. Eventually it hit $17.86. And now it's, this isn't a year and a half. This isn't in a lifetime, right? This is a 10,000% gain in a year and a half. And now it's pulled back. It's given 50% of that back. It sits at right around the $9 level. And I think eventually this is a $40 to $50 stock. And eventually isn't in my lifetime. I think it's in the next two to three years. Whether or not that happens, if I'm wrong, and all it does is stay here, a five to 10,000% gain, you'll do well in this business picking a couple of those every five years. Mm -hmm. And so Patriot Battery Metals, that's worked. Um, it's pulled back right now. I think it's a heck of an opportunity at these levels. It's my single largest personal holding. It will be that until it gets bought out, which I think it will. And I don't think it gets bought out at anything less than $40 a share. And again, it sits below $10 right now. So I think it keeps working. You want to talk Bravo? I mean, sure. This is Bravo Mining. This is a PGM deposit uh, in, in Brazil that was formerly owned by Vale, and they let go of it for a song because of some issues that they were having in-country. Um, this is a very robust deposit of, of PGMs and, and gold, and 
Um, nickel well mineralized down to 150 meters and, and, and we helped finance Bravo at 50 cents uh, US it was um, and listed they raised a lot of money really strong shareholders uh, yeah. Blackrock, BlackRock uh, exactly some some serious funds um, and it had only built, been drilled down to like 150 meters um, there was potential for, for massive and semi-massive copper and, and, and nickel sulfides at, at depth which um, they started to sniff out and have just done some electromagnetics on. Um, and, and comps for similar PGM deposits are are valued, you know, at, you know, two times uh, what this deposit is is being valued at in the market. And um, very robust drill campaign. Something like six rigs uh, turning now just came out with a resource uh, update that was a very robust and and doesn't even include the mineralization that we now knows goes all the way down to uh, 300 meters and, and doesn't include any of that that nickel and the the copper that they're starting to uh, sniff out. So a uh, very supportive management, uh, very successful management, having sold a company previously for several hundred million dollars and um, having real skin in the game in in, in Bravo, which is important. It's worth noting with the last two examples on the stock side, you know, we talked 16 cents to $17 and we talked 50 cents to $5 before pulling back to $3, right? Nothing goes straight up. And so again, back to my original point about knowing what you own and why you own it and what your end game is and what you can tolerate as far as losses go. If, if, if you're not comfortable seeing something pull back 50% after a 10,000% gain or a 1,000% gain, you should absolutely sell it when you get that 1,000% gain or you get that 10,000% gain, right? Because everybody's situation is different. Um, but if you have in your mind, you know, a model that tells you that there's potential for this to go from a 1,000% gain to a 5,000% gain or a 10,000% gain to a 40,000% gain, and you're willing to bet that farm on those gains, then hey, more power to you. The gains are all yours. The losses are also all yours. You have to be accountable at the end of the day, but just know that 50% consolidations in this business are part of the course, whether it's a commodity or the stocks. You're going to see them. It's just the way the business is set up. Fireweed. Fireweed metals. This is this. You know, actually, I, I we, we talked earlier. We were chatting with the CEO, and fireweed sat between 50 and 60 cents for most of 2021, 2022. Uh, base metals deposit, we talk how base metals really aren't working yet. We talked about the bullish thesis for copper and zinc and some of the base metals, but how that would be in the mid to long term. And it wasn't right right now. This is a perfect contrarian example how you can have a base metals deposit and discovery that is so special that even in this market, it'll work, right? It'll go from 50 cents to nearly $2 in less than a year. And again, now you have that pullback. It went from $1.80 or so down to the dollar six level, part of the course in this business, they're onto a fantastic discovery. It's a great team. It's a great project. Somebody will likely come in and buy that at a significant premium. But two lessons, because the commodity isn't working doesn't mean a discovery of significance won't take that much higher. It's why I like the high risk, high reward stuff. Again, Mr. Hodge, he likes those as well, but he likes his dividends and he likes producers and he likes revenues and, 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 and there's room in this business for all of it. You just have to kind of pick your style, um, but just know that you're going to get these types of consolidations and that things can work even in a bear market like the bear base metal market that we have right now in the short term. What will work? We're going to give you some ticker symbols, some companies. And some commodities. And some commodities. Uranium. You want to talk uranium? Uh, we, we talked about yeah, it. Yeah, we essentially yeah. did. So. 
if you haven't noticed, the talk is divided into three parts, and uranium is working, and, and we believe it's going to continue to work. Uh, for the reasons that we out, out, outlined earlier, it's only now breaking out of its um, trough. It's got government money that's that coming down the line. You've got small reactors that are going to get built out, utilities coming back into the market, uh, and on down the line. So we believe we're in a, in a robust uh, uranium uh, bull market that's going to continue to work. And just one quick word. I'll, I'll do the crystal ball thing because Mr. Hodge over here hates to do it, right? I don't mind being wrong because that's just part of the course, right? It's, it's, it's why you're here. I think uranium has the potential. It sits at about 74, 74.50 a pound. I think it has the potential in the next 18 to 24 months with the utilities coming back and some of these funds that have been set up for the first time to actually deploy cash into storing physical uranium, which would, that's never happened before. It has the potential to overshoot to $200 a pound. Now, I don't think that price is sustainable. I think it'll overshoot to 200 and then you get what that chart looks like. It'll actually pull back to 100, 120, which is a more sustainable number. But let's say I'm wrong and it doesn't go to 200. If it does go to 100 and 120, a lot of these uranium companies that are sitting there with $50 million market caps, $100 million market caps are going to go up tenfold. And so I think if you're looking at uranium as a, as a, speculation, if you're looking at the uranium equities, we're probably in the third or fourth inning of that uranium bull market, just to give you some context on where we're at. I think we had a run up about a year and a half ago, everything tripled, and then everything took a 50% haircut, and then people got bored for a year, and now everything's near 52 week highs again. And that chart that we showed you earlier looks absolutely beautiful. I think we're about to break out and, and, and go push that $100 level, and the equities are gonna perform beautifully, beautifully. Lithium, we talked lithium. Listen, lithium is pulled back for several reasons. Uh, some, of, some of it's manipulation, uh, some of it is seasonal, uh, some of it is, you know, the, the, the spot price went from 20,000 to nearly 90,000 last year because there was some misallocation on the China side on how much they were gonna need. And much like I think the uranium utilities are gonna have to come back and pay whatever price, China was willing to pay whatever price because they needed to feed their factory. So it went from 20,000 to 90,000. We knew 90,000 wasn't sustainable. The 20,000, 24,000 price that we have right now, I don't think that's sustainable either. I think we settle somewhere near the 35, 40,000 level, which for a quality producer provides phenomenal margins, phenomenal margins. It's good. Those companies are going to be printing cash over fist. So lithium is going to work. Benchmark mineral research, which is to me, the smartest guys and gals in the room when it comes to critical metals research, they estimate that lithium, the industry, will need more than $116 billion in investment to meet automaker and policy targets by 2030. Now, these are commitments that automakers have made to their shareholders, and these are commitments that governments have made to their citizenry. I don't trust either of those two entities to keep their word, but I do believe that they're serious about the mandate to push into an electrified future and that they're going to continue to allocate significant amounts of capital to the industry to make sure that they're able to do that. And that's where I see, you know, lithium continuing to work. Yeah, um, I could talk about a lot of things. Uh, I'll pick a couple. There's not really a replacement. I, I touched on this in my talk <laughs> downstairs. Is, it, we're pretty much committed to lithium at this point, given the amount of capital that's been sucked into the gigafactories. So uh, there's not anything that can really take lithium's place in the near term. You know, of course, things can change in the medium to long term. But in the next 10 to 15 years, 
um, you've really got lithium. It's it's also not really recyclable. I, I think the IEA says like by 2035, like recycling can meet 10 to 15 percent of, yeah. of of lithium demands. And 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 nonetheless, you can't make more lithium by recycling. Like you're still going to need to make more. So uh, the industry is committed to this battery chemistry. Um, and, and you know, there's different kinds, but they're all they're all lithium based, right? Um, you know, different amounts of nickel, different amounts of cobalt, a couple of different chemistries, iron phosphate, for example. But uh, they're all they're all based on 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 lithium, and so uh, we're pot committed to 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 having to build all these um, bat battery factories. And and what happened is um, they put the cart before the horse, or in this case, the, the the car before the battery, right? And they made all these targets. They 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 dedicated all this capital to build these factories, but it was almost an afterthought, like, oh, where are we going to get the lithium from? And you're starting to see that scramble now with automakers going all the way down the, the value chain right to the miners themselves and saying, here's a lot of money. What was it? Um, what did they get for, for, for GM for, for, in Thacker Pass? Was, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, 600 yeah. Million, 600 million, something yeah. like that. So uh, Stellantis just gave Argentina lithium 90 million. I mean, they're starting to think in their heads, like, Sort of like the utilities in uranium, like oh right. crap, we gotta we gotta get this stuff right, and, and you're gonna see more deals like that executed. I'm, I'm convinced in the, in the coming years. Nick is witty and intelligent, and I tend to pride myself on being a simple guy. Security of supply is going to be more important in lithium and uranium than the price will. Let me repeat that: security of supply, just having access to supply, will be more important than the price that you pay for that. And the Stellantis Argentina lithium deal recently is a perfect example of that. I'll be quick because I know we're running out of time and we'd love to take a few questions. Argentina lithium is a company that had a $30 million market cap. Like Nick said earlier, you can guess where they are, you can guess what they do. They secured a $90 million cash investment from Stellantis, the company that makes Jeep, in order to have first rights on future supply and a 20% stake in a $30 million company. Let me give you the numbers again. They gave a company that was worth, the entire company was worth 30 million, $90 million, and said, we just want a seat at the table and we want security of supply. It was more important to them that they have a seat at the table so they could feed their plants in the future than it was to pay three times what the company was worth for a 20% stake. That's going to continue and it's going to continue to replicate itself in the lithium space and in the uranium space and eventually in the copper space, but that's a few years off, so we'll get to that maybe next year. Gold. Gold, we talked about gold. We talked about how well it's performed against the dollar index. We haven't touched on geopolitical volatility because that's apparent to anybody that watches the news or checks Twitter or checks social media, and I don't have to get into you know how horrible it is on all sides, right? Um, but gold's going to continue to have a seat at the table. Retail really hasn't participated in this run up. Um, you can ask a lot of your friends, and, and a lot of you may have friends that are really into gold, but they probably are, you know, looking to meet their needs, and they're, they're, you know, inflation has been tough. Go to the grocery store; everything's expensive. Rents are going higher, mortgages are higher because interest rates are higher. People are looking to make ends meet. They're not looking to go buy a big bar of gold and go stash it somewhere, unless you're relatively well off. So the retail crowd really hasn't participated, despite the Costco's of the world's offering it in very small amounts, and then it's selling out. That appetite is slowly going to start coming back, and the central banks aren't going to stop buying it because they know they're in trouble balance sheet wise. They know what they've done to their balance sheets. That day's coming. Yeah, and, and technically you're gonna get a breakout. I mean you saw it go back over two thousand recently. It's held support really well, including, you know, when it dipped down to the eighteen hundreds uh, before the, you know, uh, Hamas attack on on Israel and it bounced beautifully off support down there and um, 
is consolidating nicely now around 1975. I mean, it wants to show strength in the face of a strong dollar, in the face of, of higher real interest rates. And so, uh, like I said uh, 20 or 25 minutes ago, uh, when those rates start to go the other way, um, you're going to see the dollar break out, in, or you're going to see gold break out in a real way, likely uh, commensurately with the dollar. And a couple of companies, quickly. Quickly, and you can write these down if you'd like. I'll give you a quick 20-second pitch on each of them. Coastal Resources is a company that's new to me. I mentioned to you that I thought uranium was in the third or fourth inning of a bull market. Coastal Resources is a new company that comes from an experienced management team uh, that just merged with another company. They have monetized assets for hundreds of millions and billions of dollars in the past. They have this small little company with this humongous land package. We talked about scale with Patriot and why that's important. They have it in the Athabasca Basin, the highest grade uranium mines in the world. I think their market cap sits somewhere around 20, 18 to 20 million dollar level. It's a new company that didn't get to participate in that first run up in the uranium price where the equities really outperformed. And I like that from a speculator's perspective because it has a lot of catching up to do. Management team is solid, share structure is solid. It's a new company, the region, the jurisdiction is solid. Um, and you know they have a lot of catalysts and they got some cash working for them. Uh, Patriot Battery Metals, we talked about Patriot, once in a generation discovery. I'll say this, the company trades at about a third of what a company was just offered um, for a, an earlier stage land package without a resource that I believe has inferior metallurgy and, and it just doesn't have the scale that Patriot has. People are paying three times what Patriot's land package is being valued at right now. That disconnect in the market will, will correct itself. Hannon Metals, Hannon Metals owns an entire basin. Forget a district, forget a property, all of that's great. It's an entire basin in Peru. Peru is the challenge. It takes a little bit of time, and by a little bit, I mean years, to get a drill permit in Peru because of all the political instability that goes on. At one point, they had three Ministry of Mines uh, gentlemen and gals come in within a matter of like a month and a half, right? So there's a lot of volatility there. But that'll change, and they'll get their permits. It may be a year off, but when Hannon Metals gets its permit, it's a company that's worth maybe $25 million right now. I believe that entire basin will take that company from a 20, 30 cent company to one day a 10 to $15 company within a couple of years if it's successful in proving up that basin. And thus far, all of the sampling work they've done, because they have been able to get in there and sample, shows copper and gold and silver absolutely everywhere in an area that's never been explored for because they used to sell cocaine back in the 90s out of this area and it didn't make for exploration work when geologists come in. Government went in, they cleared all that out, that's no longer the case, and now they're in there, they staked the whole entire basin. Aldebaran Resources, the opposite of Hannon as far as jurisdiction, Argentina, San Juan area, red hot, tons of capital coming in, great jurisdiction, government support, very pro-mining, they have a massive copper gold resource, uh, the market cap somewhere around 115 million the last time that I checked, give or take 10 million. The asset that the company has, they believe is one of the better ones they've ever had, and this is a company with management that has monetized lesser assets for four, five, six times what the current market cap is. So I think this gets bought out. It's a lot of copper. It's a lot of gold. I think it gets bought out in the next couple of years for four or five times its current value. And the last one is more speculative. It's um, 
Q2 metals, right? It's kind of like COSA in the sense that COSA is going to be drilling soon. Q2 is drilling now, but it's also in James Bay. It's a different greenstone belt, different rocks and geology than Patriot battery metals, but a lot of similar um, technical advisors. The gentleman that discovered the Corvette property for Patriot is the gentleman that is VP of Exploration for Q2 metals. Also brought this property, him and his group, to Q2 metals. It's a 10 kilometer land package, it's got scale. It's got lithium spodumene bearing pegmatites at surface. It's drilling as we speak with two rigs. We'll start getting results here in the next month. If they hit, it's a 70 cent company today. I think it could be a couple of dollar company within the next couple of months. So that's your upside there. Your downside, if they miss, it's gonna be a 30 cent company, but they do have other properties, so there's that. <laughs> that's all folks, listen, I wanna thank y'all. I know we're competing with the bar. You can find us at dailyprofitcycle.com, free website, tons of free info resourcestockdigest.com, sponsor paid content, tons of exclusive interviews with CEOs, also free info. If you want some of the paid services with some of the research that we provide, Digest Publishing has some of that for you, digestpublishing.com. And then go to dailyprofitcycle.com every week for the free Bizarro World podcast. It's what we do every week. We do it because we love to do it and uh, hopefully you get something out of it. Hey there, you independent-minded investor. If you like this video, make sure to tell us so by clicking the like button below. Subscribe to our channel so you never miss another one. And share it with everyone you know on social media. You can also click the link in the description below to check out more information-packed videos just like this one. Thanks for watching.